Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. It is a Tuesday. It is 4 o'clock hour. And this is Vince's Hour, brought to you by Waters Equipment. Yeah, Waters Equipment provides heavy-duty equipment like skid steer, track machines, mini excavators, and tractors. Service on those. They've been in business in the area for 48 years. Unbelievable customer service. They rental program is outstanding and rob and the staff will take care of you it's a great time to uh, to take advantage of their discounts they have and their spartan motors and um, and really appreciate them being a part of sports talk with me here each week recently there was a passing of florida state head coach bobby bowden uh it uh, it hit a lot of folks hard it hit the media hard he had a great relationship with the media it hit the Seminoles uh, fan base hard. It hit a lot of coaches in the profession hard, and it hit those that played for him hard. And to join us to talk a little bit about that is a man that did play for him at Florida State, Rick Stockstill, head coach at Middle Tennessee State. Coach, how are you? I'm good, Jimmy. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for joining us. I know your schedule's very tight with football going on, but if you would just tell us about your relationship with Coach Bowden. Yeah, um, you know, I was very fortunate. I was my my recruiting class. My class was Coach Bowden's first class. Oh. So uh, his first year, obviously, obviously was '76, and then you know we came in in '77. So you know, I was there at the the very beginning of his career at Florida State, and um, you know we had a you know a lot of great wins and. and you know, our group, that era right there, we feel like, you know, we're the ones that were part of the the really beginning and uh, of what Coach Bowden had developed and built Florida State football into. So, but just, uh, you know, uh, an incredible man. You know, a lot of coaches say they have a open-door policy and, you know, you can call me, you can see me anytime you want. But very few, you know, really do that. And he's one that did. And uh, he cared about us. He loved us. He was extremely honest about everything uh, in his dealings with us. And, uh, you know, and you know, Jimmy, stars weren't invented back then. We were a bunch of blue-collar guys. If they were invented, we'd all been two stars. And, you know, we had a handful of guys that were probably – you know, four stars, but he had the unique ability to make a average player, you know, play great and a great player be a superstar. And uh, we played for him, you know, we didn't want to let him down. And uh, and we played for each other, but just, uh, it was an incredible experience. And I'm very fortunate that I get to say that, you know, I played for him. Sometimes my memory fails me, but I seem to think that in about 1979, and obviously you'd have been on this team, you were there from 77 to 81, Bobby Bowden said, okay, if we got to go on the road and play people, we will. So it's like he went to LSU and Nebraska and Miami. He, 
was that the year you went all over the place playing all these teams on their home fields? Do you remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. Now my junior and senior year, eighteen eighty one, you know, uh, what? Actually, and before that, we went to LSU four straight years. You know, <laughs> every on the road, and you know, we were four and zero against them. And you know, then my junior year, we go to Nebraska. Uh, they were number three in the country. We, we beat them. The next week, we come home, and Dan Marino and Hugh Green and those guys, they're number three in the country, and we beat them. We go to Ohio State, Notre Dame, you know, all, all those guys. We go to Nebraska again. And uh, to me, that's why I said, Jimmy, that we feel like that's what got Florida State going. And you know this. You probably, you know, you remember it. But Florida State had won four games, I think it was, the three years prior to Coach Bowden getting there. And they were – the board of trustees or the board of regents, whatever they were called then, you know, they were going to drop football. And they said, this is, we'll give it a shot here with this coach. And if it works great, if it doesn't, we're going to drop football. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. So, uh, but no, you know, Coach Bowden, you know, didn't shy away from anybody, you know, and uh, – Nebraska, Ohio State, Notre Dame. We never got to play those guys at home. Rick, what were some of the specific lessons that he taught you and the players that you've used still to this day in coaching? Yeah, you know, and and I've said this, you know, many times. I've been very fortunate who I've coached with. You know, Larry Little, who's an NFL Hall of Famer, and Steve Spurrier and Lou Holtz and you know I've been very fortunate but I've and I never coached for Coach Bowden but I feel like I did because I knew I wanted to coach when I went to college when I went to school there and then, so I soaked up everything he said and uh, you know the big thing that that you know I've taken from him that I've used in coaching is just you know how competitive he was. Uh, you know, he, he was always great. Win or lose after a, a, a game, he was always the same. He treated the media with class, and I've tried to always do that. Um, but his competitive spirit and how tough and how demanding he was of us as players, you know, to strive for, you know, perfection. And, and he didn't let anything slide. And, uh, you know, you had to – practice and you couldn't I mean players today they couldn't do what what players we did 30 years ago I mean there's no way they could we don't do two a days anymore because of how hard it was back then so but just how honest he was with us he always told us the truth not what we wanted to hear and he wasn't one of those coaches that when you go to him and you say hey coach why aren't I playing and a lot of coaches will say, well, just keep working hard. You know, your time will come. Keep working hard. He always gave you a reason why you weren't playing. You're either, you know, you're missing too many assignments. You're you're missing too many tackles. Uh, you know, you're turning the ball over, whatever. When you stop doing that, then you're going to play. And, uh, and then the other thing, just how much he emphasized the team. And nothing was more important than the team. And, 
you know, everybody talks about a brotherhood and how close people are on a team, but that's what we were at Florida State, and that's why we were so successful was, like I said earlier, we didn't want – we played for Coach Bowden. We didn't want to let him down. Then we played for us and then our school. And he talked about that all the time, you know, play for each other, play for your family, and then play for the school. And he would never say play for me, but that's what we always did. You know, we played for him first uh, because we didn't want to let him down because we loved and respected him so much. Middle Tennessee head coach Rick Stock still joining us here on Sports Talk. Events Vince Ferrara with Jimmy Himes. Rick, how often do you find yourself saying gum? <laughs> All the time. You know, I, I did it when I was in school and uh, – you know, just because you heard it all the time, because Coach Bowden wouldn't cuss, and that was, you know, I always thought he was, that was his cuss word, I thought, <laughs> you know, so, but I, I've always said it, and I got it from him, I'd never heard it before until I got to Florida State, um, but I told somebody the other day, you know, I, I said it on purpose, you know, Sunday when he passed, uh, just because I loved him, and, uh, but no, I say it all the time. And uh, I'll continue to say it all the time, and it'll it'll make me remind it'll remind myself, you know, of Coach every time I do it. <clears throat> coach, when you were at, at Florida State, nineteen seventy seven to eighty one, did you see in Coach Bowden that he would be a great coach that that he could lead Florida State to the pinnacle, which it did not achieve? He had like fourteen years in a row in the top five. He won two national championships in a time frame. Did you see that potential in him? Yeah, because we believed in him so much, Jimmy. And, uh, you know, if he hadn't had all those wide rights or wide lefts, you know, he might have had a couple more national mm-hmm. championships. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, he, his passion, uh, you, you, you knew he cared about us. And that's what he told me when I, when I got into coaching, you know, whatever, 39 years ago. He said, Stock, you know, always – Put your players first. Make sure they know you care about them and they and that you love them. Make sure they know that because if they do, then they'll run through a wall for you. And because uh, that's what we were, and we knew he believed in us. We knew he cared about us as as people, as men. You know, as much as he did. You know, as being a player for him. So, yeah, we Jimmy, we saw it. You know, just and you never know when you're. 18, 19, 20 years old, you, you know, it's hard to, you know, think about, think past to the right now, you know, but you knew we were building something that was special at Florida State because I get there, we have a 35,000-seat stadium, and each year now it's 40,000. The next year it's 42,000. You know, I leave, it's 50,000. We finally got it up to 50,000, you know, and then – now it's whatever eighty five thousand, and you know it's it's all brick. It used to be you know the erector set, an, an <laughs> aluminum stadium. So you could just see slowly, you know how he built the program, and you know he put his you know thumbprint on everything he did, and just he was so classy, uh, and just he made us you know be appreciative of you know everything that you know the. We had then, and we didn't have anything. I mean, we had to beg for a pair, a new pair of socks, because we didn't have all that kind of stuff that they have now. And uh, 
just you know, you, you you believed in him so much that whatever you whatever he said, you know, you believed it was going to come true. This might be hard to answer, but what do you think Coach Bowden meant to college football? Well, Coach Bowden spoke at an FCA uh, here in 2012, and I introduced him at the at the luncheon, and and then I brought him back to our team, uh, you know, right before our practice, and introduced him to him and and talked to him, and 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 we had a player that didn't know who Coach Bowden was, and there's so many young people today that you know don't remember you know the past great coaches of 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 all sports you know you got to find yourself when you're talking you know do you remember who Bear Bryant was do you remember who Vince Lombardi was do you remember who Johnny Unitas was you know all those things that young people today don't know but i think coaches that are coaching today um uh, that were that know that were you know young coaches or players when Coach Bowden was coaching, you know if they truly if that was what they truly wanted to do as coach, then his impact, his grace, his humility after a win, after a loss, you know I, I tell our staff, you know, I told me before we got started, I said answer all phone calls, emails letters within 48 hours. And I use the example, I knew Coach Bowden was, you know, had this, you know, disease and he was going to die. I knew it back the, the end of May, 1st of June. And I wrote him a letter, a long letter, just thanking him, telling me how much I loved him and, and everything. And, and he writes me back. And I tell guy, I told our guys, I said, you know, here he is, 91 years old, dying, and he writes me back. You know, he didn't have to do that. And so just people that are coaching today, if you'll be appreciative of the media, they, you guys have a job to do. And, yeah, you may not want to hear the question that's asked, but you don't have to embarrass that young reporter or that young TV guy. You know, answer the question with respect, and that's what he did. And so many people now want to not be respectful and do that and, and win with win with grace, win with humility. You know, and when you lose, you know, you know, you hate losing. We all hate to lose, but you know, shake that other guy's hand. You know, and and be respectful and and give them credit. And that's what Coach Bowden was, and just how he treated people. And you can go. Th- from players to coaches to the media to everybody he dealt with, how nice and genuine of a human being he was. And, you know, I've learned it, and I know other coaches that are out there that, you know, have been around him. You know, I know they would say the same thing, but just he he was such a genuine person uh, and so honest and uh, accessible. And uh, it, he'll call you a buddy. He may not remember your name because you're going to be buddy. <laughs> hey, buddy, how you doing? But he's going to make you feel like you're his best friend. Rick, to that point of accessibility and treating people right, 
and even including the media. I just thought it was amazing, a couple things. One, that he had his phone number, his home phone number, in the Tallahassee telephone book for years, right? Yeah, and he had a cell phone, but, you know, it was sometimes he would answer that. But I promise you, if he wasn't sleeping, he was going to answer that phone or Miss Ann was going to answer that phone, and you could talk to him. Yeah. And, you know, people go by his house and put a ball and a note in his driveway and say, Coach, will you sign this to Rick, to Jimmy? You know, and sure enough, he'd sign it, put it back in the driveway, and you can come back the next day and pick it up. And who does that? Nobody. You know, and just he he's such a good person. He lived in the same house there in, in Killarne, you know, since he got there. And uh, added on to it a little bit and put a pool in it and all that stuff. But he's just a, such a good person. And uh, it's, it's okay to be a good person. And, and you don't have to be Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Mean Guy. And, uh, and to be a coach and uh, treat people with respect. And, you know, he he walked the talk. You know, he wasn't one of those guys that said this and did that. And uh, if you ever got a chance to meet him, ever got a chance to talk to him, you walked away saying that's a really, really good person. Absolutely. Hey, Coach, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing those thoughts on Coach Bowden, a legend and certainly a – Great coach, a great person. We appreciate you joining us to talk about him. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Rick Stockstill, head coach, MTSU. Uh, played quarterback for Bobby Bowden, 1977 to 81. His thoughts and his uh, his memory of Coach Bowden. Yeah, team captain yeah. as well. Yeah, just great perspective. And you could you could hear the emotion still in, in his voice. Uh, you sure could. It's Vince's Hour, brought to you by Waters Equipment. Let's go to the phones where our next caller is Grant. Grant, you're on Sports Talk. Hey, Vince. Hey, Jimmy. Are y'all cool with talking a little Olympic baseball with me? Sure, sure. Awesome. Well, hey, I, I got y'all done plenty of games, and I mean, you guys have been in stadiums where they've been practically empty, and you guys know it just sucks the life out of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, do you, do you agree with that? I do. I, we saw Major League Baseball be able to function that way. Uh, despite yeah. that, but yeah, it, it does make a difference for sure. And piping in crowd noise uh, doesn't uh, doesn't get it for me. <laughs> the cardboard cutouts. Yeah. Do, but do you think turning on the TV and seeing these empty stands? I mean, do you think that could affect viewership? I mean, I, I remember you know trying to watch a little baseball, watch a little football when there weren't any fans in the stands, and it was fun to watch. But I mean, it's just something about watching a game with a full crowd. I mean, it just it energizes you, even if you're not there. Um, and I wonder if that played any role in, in maybe the viewership being down during the Olympics. Um, but that's not really why I was calling you all. But do you, do you want to share an opinion on that? Yeah, just real quick, Jimmy. I, I do think that's part of many reasons. I, I would say that is a little bit of a factor. Now, you would have to initially sample and watch and then – if that bothered you, maybe you didn't go back to it or didn't go back to it as much. That can impact the numbers. Uh, I, I, for it to dip as much as it did, I'm guessing there's a lot of people that just stayed away completely. And in order to have that drop in the numbers, 
I, I think you need a lot of different reasons, not just one. So I do think that is potentially one of the factors, but uh, I, I think there's kind of a list of them, Grant. It, it may have had an impact with some, but personally it did not have any with me. I watch swimming regardless of whether people are in the stands. I watch gymnastics regardless of whether people are in the stands. Same for track and field. So is the atmosphere better when their fans are there? Absolutely. But it did not prevent me from watching the events I wanted to watch. Well, you're a different breed, Jimmy. You know that. <laughs> uh, I'll take hey, that as a compliment. <laughs> Although I shouldn't. Well, I love, y'all love sports. I love sports. And, you know, it's fun to talk to people that uh, really, really just have a passion for it. So the baseball team, do you guys feel like they overachieved getting silver? I kind of do. I mean, you had prospects and veterans who were cut. Your bullpen consisted of a 38-year-old, a 36-year-old, a 39-year-old. That's that's pretty challenging. In Japan, they stopped its pro league to put their best players on the field. I I thought the baseball team did quite well, Vince, given their, in my opinion, limited roster. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't it wasn't the the highest level of representation for USA, and I did not have th- that kind of expectation. Honestly, meddling at all. For them, so yes. Uh, to answer your question, Grant, I do think they overachieved, and um, you know, just uh, just cool to see them do what they did uh, with not the highest level of of roster, but still some guys with experience. Yeah, from what I understand, like you said, they're they're free agents, you know. Um, right. And in Japan, you guys answered my next question. You know, they they stopped the league to put their best players out there. So yeah, I agree. They overachieved. So I was thinking about you know. Cuba, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, these other baseball factories. I don't think Dominican Republic had, you know, their best team out there. And I started thinking about Venezuela, and they're in the Southern Hemisphere, aren't they? I think so. So their their summer league is when we're having our winter, and you know, I, I don't remember even seeing them um, that Olympic team out there. That's kind of surprising. Uh, to me, and then I kind of started thinking about Summer Olympics, and I started thinking about Brazil, how they're in the Southern Hemisphere. And guys, did you know that they had the Summer Olympics during their winter? <laughs> I didn't realize did that. In Rio? Yeah. yeah, in Rio. That was Brazil's winter when uh, we had the Summer Olympics. And the reason I thought about that was, well, you know, maybe if, if we're playing in the Southern Hemisphere, we'll have our Major League players out there because it'll be their winter. But apparently the Summer Olympics are the same months um, every year they come around. And I was, I was kind of surprised to see that because uh, Brazil was in August, Rio. And, and Grant, just looking at Venezuela's roster, I, I wasn't aware, but it looks like they have, they have – free agents they have players that are in the minor leagues in major league baseball it doesn't look like all of their best players that that would be there so well i appreciate y'all uh climbing into my brain and and show you where, where it went but <laughs> hopefully one of these years we can get our best players out there and uh maybe we can take uh we can win the gold in baseball yeah. uh and beat japan but thank you all okay. for your time Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. We come back, we will have more. This is Vince's Hour. It's brought to you by Waters Equipment. Also, if you have a question or comment, you can give us a call, 656-9900, 1-866-656-9900. Vince, a coach's poll came out. 
Now, five of the top seven teams in this poll don't have a returning quarterback. Alabama, Clemson, uh, Ohio State, uh, Notre Dame, Texas A&M. Out of that group, do you feel like Alabama is best suited to uh, – do you like their quarterback situation better than the others because of Bryce Young? Or do you think there are other teams that are just um, like Clemson are equally adept at replacing the quarterback that they lost? Yeah, I think DJU at Clemson, I think they'll be fine there. I think he's talented. He played well uh, in place of Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I don't worry about that position. I don't worry about Bryce Young at Alabama either. Plus, there's so much talent around them. It really helps in in having that quarterback be more productive. So th- those would be a couple of ones where they don't have technically returning starters that um, that I still think they'll be fine. I, I think Texas A&M will be in a good spot, too, with Haynes King. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the spring, he was splitting time at that quarterback spot, but I would anticipate that if it does, if it indeed it is Kane's King, I think uh, they'll be pretty good. He's not going to put up Kellen Mond type numbers, but I don't think they need him to because they have an awful lot of talent. Isaiah Spiller and really good group of receivers and one of the better offensive lines, I think, in the SEC as well. So I, I think those would be a few of the new quarterback uh, spots that will will still those teams will be still very good. I think Notre Dame is the biggest question mark out of that group. I think so, um, in terms of ones that replace the starting quarterback. Correct. Yeah. Which means I think it's going to be harder for Notre Dame to finish number seven in the country. Yeah, I think so. I still wonder about Iowa State beyond Brock Purdy. I know they still have some talent, and they're so well coached with Matt Campbell. They're one in the top ten that I kind of wonder about a little bit, but they don't fall in that category of, teams with a new starting quarterback i love their running back yeah didn't he uh, Brees hall is that his name yes i think he's mm-hmm. terrific yeah so i think that helps him okay uh let's go with the sec teams after that number 11 florida replacing kyle trask number 13 lsu with miles brennan already down looks like mac johnson do you think florida and lsu can be top 15 teams i think florida's a little high 11 that that's a little high for me i I think Florida is probably still a top twenty-ish, top twenty-five-ish team, maybe a three-loss type of team. I do think they take a little step back, but even I don't know about Emory Jones. I'm not as convinced on him as some of the other new starters in in the Southeastern Conference. Florida has a number of guys to replace, but they often have guys to replace and. The one thing that I think still steers me, keeps me from bottoming them or dropping them too much is Dan Mullen. And sometimes Dan Mullen, when he's got underestimated talent and it looks like he's not going to win as many games, those are, those are the years when he puts it together and figures it out. And maybe it's not Emory Jones. Maybe he ends up changing it. But he seems to find a way to get production out of that position, Mm -hmm. regardless of what we all think about the quarterback. So I think you got to give him the benefit of the doubt that they're not going to have too much of a dip. Can Ole Miss finish in the top 25? I think so. I think they're in that, let's see, I would put Alabama tier one in the West, 
I would say than Texas A&M and LSU in that order as a tier two. And then the tier three in the West, I would say Auburn and, and Ole Miss. I think the league is good enough, and I think they can be potentially, I guess in the top 25, you'd have to, what, win eight games, you think, regular season? Yeah. That would be maybe one more win than I would pick them to, but I think seven is doable. So I think they're they're close enough. So yeah, I, I think I, that's reachable. I probably wouldn't have them in there. And their their non conference schedule, Jimmy, is is not overly challenging. I mean, they have they have Liberty, who's who's been good the last couple of years. Louisville, Austin P and Tulane. I give them four wins there. And then, yeah, you're going to have a challenge it, definitely in the uh, in in the West. Your crossover games are Vanderbilt and at Tennessee. Might give them those two as well. So yeah. that's that's maybe six there. And then, can you beat Arkansas and Mississippi State or at Auburn? Yeah, those are within range. So, uh, yeah, there it's. Eight, I wouldn't rule it out in the top 25. Which team has a better chance to be in the top 25, Ole Miss or Auburn? I I like Ole Miss better than Auburn by a little bit. I think not great progress, but I think the defense will be a little bit better. And honestly, that's what they need. They need Matt Corral and that offense to be what they were last year. Now, granted, they're not going to have Elijah Moore, elite receiver, but I still think they have speed and they have athleticism. They ran the, the ball underrated well last year, and I think they'll do it again this year, maybe more by by committee. But I, I, I like them a little bit more than Auburn. It's Brian Harson's first year also. So how much are they changing things there? It's been hard to get information on Auburn because they're pretty much giving no availability to – to anyone there, so they've really tightened things down at Auburn. But I, I give them a slight edge, but I think those are very close in that next tier in the West. When we come back, we'll have more with Vince Ferrara. His hour brought to you by Waters Equipment. Also, we need to announce that John Green is one of our qualifiers for the Michelob Ultra Golf Cart. Uh, we're going to announce that winner soon, and so uh, he's one of the qualifiers. It's a beautiful golf cart. It's a uh, white and blue, and it's been on display at some of our remotes, but it is, it's fantastic. So, uh, John Green, one of our qualifiers for the Michelob Ultra Golf Cart. Tennessee linebackers coach Brian Jean-Marie met with the media today. Vince, what were some of the key things that he said? Well, he was asked about a lot of individuals, and I think that's that's the best approach, <laughs> not to give away our secrets, but to get the coaches to give you something on uh, a you know some some answers and some information is to ask them directly about a player, and Brian Jean Marie was willing to talk about some guys. He mentioned that William Mohan uh, transferred from Michigan, and he was worked with him there. He said uh, he's you know making the adjustment to being that stack linebacker on the inside. Said he's been really good and better than he thought, which I thought was interesting. Mohan's a little bit a little bit thinner, smaller guy, so it's it's interesting that. You know he's working on on the inside and and probably has added some weight uh, on Aaron Willis who didn't get a chance to participate in the spring. He said he's been a pleasant surprise, and he said he's also been impacted by the fact that he didn't play high school ball last year because of COVID. And he's probably not the only 
player, and I'm sure there's a lot, there's probably others on this team that had their growth stunted by the fact that they couldn't play their senior year in high school. Um, Karat Garland, uh, excuse me, Quasi Garland, the linebacker, he said he's improved from the spring. He said Jeremy Banks is one of his favorite guys. He said he plays hard. He they need to he needs to play under control at times, and he he's a guy that can play uh, in in multiple positions for them. Um, he also talked about you know the Will linebacker being more more in space and uh, a guy that uh, will will be uh, you know asked to blitz. And, uh, you know, in cover and then their Mike linebacker is a little bit more of a run defender. Uh, he said that, uh, their two inside backer positions are, um, can be versatile. They like guys that can do both of those things. And, you know, there are some guys that are, uh, that have been on the edge more like a, um, uh, Martavis French. Who is you know the guys that have have really gotten after the the quarterback normally and um, and now are are trying are moving more on the inside but some guys are going to be situational in in them getting after the quarterback so and and being in specific roles in the defense. Uh, also, and uh, he talked about some of the rotation, how many guys he sort of trusted to be able to play. He said, you want to have five or six ready to play. You want to be three deep, but with three deep, you, you want to have five or six, you hope, to be ready to play. Because he mentioned, you know, you probably want to travel with seven or eight of those linebackers. And then because some are going to be in the game rotation guys while Others are going to be special teams guys, so you still have to get all of those guys ready to play. So those are a couple of the the more noteworthy things that he talked about today. And Vince, uh, who sponsored your hour? That's Waters Equipment. Waters Equipment been in the area doing great business for over forty eight years. Can't speak highly enough about them, and really appreciate them each week sponsoring my hour. Here with John and Jimmy on Sports Talk. I do want to mention, too, that he did talk about uh, the Texas transfer and Juwan Mitchell said he's done a nice job. And you know, the biggest thing that he brings to the table is the is the leadership and the experience because it is a very young group and very different than what they had in, uh, in the spring. So he said it is nice to see some more of those bodies out there and um and being able to you know have a room still with uh with other guys that more so than what he had in the spring where he said you know it was like i i think people wanted me to uh to get out there because he felt like they thought they only had about five healthy bodies so um just a you know enjoyable visit with him and um you know that linebacking position is one that is still very much up in the air so they're going to need some some development uh, out of that, uh, out of that group, and we'll see if they get it. More of a Joe. I think I said Martavis French was more of a Joseph is what yeah, I was talking yeah. about. So yeah. yeah, I apologize on that. More of a Joseph is who he was talking about that might have a, a sort of a situational role for him that's still making a little bit of a an adjustment to the inside kid from Lakeland, Florida. That's Vince Ferrar. And we come back. We're going to hear from uh, Tennessee's linebackers coach, Tennessee's offensive line coach. We've got some player interviews. We're going to bring you as well during the five o'clock hour.